So I got a couple questions. Uh, number one, what's sticky and brown? Answer, a stick. What does what does a pepper do when it's angry? What does pepper do when it's angry? It gets jalapeno in your face. Gets all up in your face. <laughs> What's a foot long and slippery? A slipper. So, Lynn, I did think of you, the queen of puns, as I was preparing these. <laughs> well, these were just questions. And sometimes... We, we ask questions and we get answers we don't like. And then other times someone stands up here and you're pretty much a captive audience and they ask questions and then answer the questions and you don't like that either. That's okay. But for real, sometimes we ask questions of the Lord. And sometimes we don't like the answers. Sometimes we don't hear the answers. And flat out, sometimes we do not get answers to those questions. So teens, you guys, once again, the last two messages I've speaked, I've, I've, I've spoken to, um, you guys have been on my heart. So I want you guys to stay locked in. Girls, I'd like you to stay locked in. There's questions you're going to ask you're not going to get answers to. Why there's so much suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to innocent people? How can God just sit by and let things happen? There's not an answer that I could stand up here and give you that will that will um, minister to your soul. And that's that's the truth. That's life. But if we can just be honest for a second, I think there's times we ask questions that we're not necessarily seeking an answer to the questions. There are times that we will pose a question because we're just looking for someone lame. And that question is meant to invoke someone to blame. When I ask the question, what I might really be saying when I ask, why is there so much suffering in the world? I might be saying, a loving God would never allow this much suffering. When I ask the question, why do bad things happen to innocent people? I might be saying, justice? God isn't just. If I ask, how can God sit by and let such horrible things happen? What I might really be saying is, God doesn't exist at all. We need to hear beyond the questions and there's things that if we we dedicate our efforts to answering the questions we're going to fall short to look at this more closely and more introspectively the Lord has brought us to 1st Kings chapter 17 today I want to talk about Elijah so if you want to open your Bibles to 1st Kings chapter 17 1 Kings 17, we jump into the moment where Elijah is introduced. 
and there's no there's no foreshadowing in the story. There's no build up in in First Kings seventeen one. That is our introduction to Elijah. We're gonna we're gonna kind of give a bit of the story, and then we'll the, where I want to get to is is the part where it talks about Elijah and the widow. So First Kings seventeen one. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, Okay, so this is Elijah to King Ahab. And he says this, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. So he's saying, I am standing here. I'm representing God. I'm representing God, O King. He says, There shall neither be dew nor rain these years, except by my word. That's our intro to Elijah. That's the first thing we ever hear about Elijah. He stands before the king of Israel and he says, I'm representing the God of Israel. Trumping his authority immediately. You're the king of Israel, but I'm representing the God of Israel. And I'm telling you right now, what I'm about to tell you, if it doesn't come to pass, then God is dead. That's, that's how bold his statement is. He's saying, I'm representing the living God and as sure as he lives, what I'm going to declare right now will happen. And he says, there will not be rain for years. But then he, say, he also says, there will not be dew. Dew that, that this naturally falls upon plants and, and everything in the morning. There will neither be dew nor rain until I say otherwise. Mic drop. That's it. His monologue is finished. There's an entire other message to talk about, about knowing and hearing from God and speaking in boldness when we've heard from God and speaking in authority, but that's not the message for today. Next verse. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here. This is to Elijah. He's like, turn around, depart from her, turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And he knew where that was because it it wasn't far from where he was born. So immediately, I think God also does something supernatural. I think he freezes the king. I think the the king is like stupefied, like, and then God's like, hey, uh, Elijah, go ahead and turn around and get out of here and head east. Because as soon as the, the king snaps too, he sends decree saying, send people into every nation, find that jump and kill him. Which is kind of ridiculous because wouldn't you at first want to kind of write it out? If, if God was really saying it won't rain again until I say so, would you really want to kill that guy? Because what if you kill him and then it never rains again? Because in theory, that could happen. You'd at least want to wait a little bit. He says, go to Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. What happens next? Probably surprised Elijah. And it should have. What happens next? It says, and after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. What the Lord spoke was, 
I will provide for you. Uh, ravens are going to bring meat and bread to you twice a day. And drink from the brook. But he just got done prophesying a drought in the land. He just got done prophesying there will be no dew and there will be no rain. So when the brook dries up, it shouldn't have surprised him. And friends, when, when certain things happen in life, it shouldn't surprise us either. When evil people do evil things, that shouldn't surprise us. When difficult comes to Christians, that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said you will have difficulty. There's things that shouldn't devastate us. But sometimes they do because I, I think we just don't really think about it. Well, Lord, your, your, your provision's not exactly what I expected. You guys, sometimes the provision of the Lord isn't what we expect. Sometimes the things the Lord speaks to us isn't what we expect. Sometimes the response, when we're asking God questions and the response he gives us, isn't what we expect. That's why we got to be teachable. That's why we got to be open and flexible. Next verse. Then, after the brook dried up, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, and, and God says it again, I have commended, and this time it's a widow to feed you. Interesting, right? Same, term, same terminology. He says, I've, I've commanded ravens to feed you, and now he's saying, I've, I've commended a widow to feed you. And the ravens were great. I mean, as far as we know, he didn't have to do anything. He just had to sit there and wait. Ravens showed up with barbecue and cornbread and they fly off. And that happened like twice a day. So he goes about 100 miles, heads north. And then this is what we see, verse 10. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He's like, okay, all right. Maybe this is her gathering sticks. They're brown and sticky. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And that's actually, that makes sense that he would say that as well. He hasn't been drinking. The brook dried up. He's thirsty. Would you bring me something to drink? Would you bring me some water? And then he says this. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, oh, by the way, can you bring me a morsel of bread in your hand? And then she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. He might have been like, Lord, the ravens just brought me the food. They didn't put me on a guilt trip. What's up, Lord? Notice something interesting here about what she says. Similar terminology, okay? Elijah stood before King Ahab and said, he said, uh, the Lord my God, right? What does she say? The Lord your God. God didn't even bring her to a 
Jesus following. I know it's Old Testament, so Jesus wasn't around yet, but you get the point. He, he, he didn't even bring her, uh, him to a Christian widow. He brought her to someone, a Gentile. Someone who's not a follower of his faith and not a believer in his God. And she says, your God. Maybe he didn't expect that. Maybe he expected to really warm. I mean, there's rich widows. Maybe he was expecting a rich widow with a great, comfortable house who could really look well. And he gets there and he finds the right widow and she doesn't know his God and she's prepared to die says I, I don't even have enough for you. I have enough for me and my son we're going to eat it we're going to die you guys we need to realize that our God always has bigger purpose than the things he's called us to you guys, I, I'm just if we set our eyes on ourselves which I think it would have been really easy for Elijah to focus on himself right now Lord I delivered the word you said, and I, I knew the consequences, Lord. I knew the consequences. I knew after bringing that word to King Ahab, I'd be running. I know who Ahab is. He's evil. He's ungodly. He's a worshiper of demons. He and his wife. I know who they are. I knew what I was getting in, Lord, but I brought the word. I delivered it. I ran to where you want. Thank you, Lord, for sharing my life. You're awesome, God. I went to the place you told me to go. Thank you, Lord. You provided supernaturally ravens. Remarkable. A place that was safe and hidden and by the brook, it dries up. I get it. You gave me the prophetic word. I knew what was coming. I get it. But you know, now this, Lord, because our expectations should always be God's bare purposes. Our expectations should always be telling people about Jesus. Our expectations should always be that we're going to be used in, in advancing the kingdom of God. Our expectation should always be that someone's going to look closely at our lives because there's a light they see and they're trying to figure it out and they don't know exactly what it is and the door will be open for us to share Jesus. That should always be our expectation. So the story has been set. We're now with Elijah and the widow. And in verse 13, we pick it up. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake out of what you have and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. He's saying, go do what I said first. Oh, and by the way, here's what the Lord says. You will not run out. That Those jugs, the jug in the container of the flour and the oil will not run out. You will not run out. I like to think that the jug of flour was maybe like this big. Not not this big. Not whatever you Tupperware you have at home that's got like the flour in it and flour and sugar and okay, I, I don't like to think of it like I like to think of it like this. And the oil, I don't like to think of it as long, you know, big thing of olive oil that you buy at Costco. I like to think of it as just a little a little container. It has maybe a quarter cup in there, whatever. And here's why I like to think of it that way. Because 
God said, I'll, I'll, I'll provide your daily bread. I'll provide your daily needs. And every day, this widow had to have the faith that, okay, Lord, you said it wouldn't run out, so I'm making, I'm making the meal for me and my son and the prophet. And then the next day, there was enough. And she did it again. And the next day, there was enough. And she did it again. And the next day, there was enough. But every day, we are reliant and dependent upon God. Every day, we've got to look at Him as our source. He did say, you know, I promise you this, that, you know, there's going to be a delivery truck and you're going to have bags of, of flour delivered to your house just so that you can just sit at ease. Verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. The son became ill. So after this. So we know that the son, so just a little foreshadowing, the son's about to die. But we know he didn't die of hunger. I need to make this perfectly clear. He did not die of hunger. Because after this, so after a while, their needs had been met. And all of a sudden, he becomes ill. And he becomes sick. And his illness was so severe that he died. There was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, and, and notice here what she says and the question she asked, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. What have I done to you? Why have you done this to me? You guys, the widow's not looking for an answer. She's looking for someone to blame. And you guys, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised when hurting people hurt. It should not catch us by surprise when someone who's hurting hurts. And if we're walking as Christ, then we walk with grace. And when hurting people lash out, that's not our moment to defend ourselves or put them in their place or... That's our moment to show grace. That's our moment to go before the Lord in prayer. To to lift them up. So the widow asks a question and she makes accusation against God. And what's amazing, what's kind of astonishing, Elijah turns and does the same thing to God. And he cried, this is verse 20, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow? Have you brought disaster even upon the widow with whom I am temporarily staying by killing her son? That's what Elijah asked God. He says, have you done this? Have you brought disaster to her home? And then he takes it a step further. And you killed her, her son? Now, at this point in the story, it'd probably be easy to hold Elijah to a higher standard because cause he's the man of God. He's the prophet of God. But at this point, we see that Elijah is human and that he is weak and that he is tired. And we see probably that running has taken this toll on him and running for his life has taken this toll on him. And, and he doesn't have the most godly response. He doesn't have the most faith-filled response. Elijah's question was not answered. But his prayer was. 
Elijah asked God a question. Have you done this? Have you brought calamity? Have you killed her? Elijah's question was, was not answered. But see, Elijah also prayed, Lord, would you heal? Would you bring him back to life? It says, then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him. Lord, let, let this child's life come into him. Lord, let this child's life come back into him. Verse 22, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came back into him and he revived. So here's our as Christian guys. There, there's, there's times we're going to have those moments of weakness. There's times we're not going to be at our best. There's times that our humanity is what's going to come out when we are squeezed. But also as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to remember to then ask the Lord's power and His grace to be manifested and demonstrated. His question wasn't answered, but his prayer was. Today's message, question or prayer. What if, what if we can't have them both answered? I'm not saying we can't. I think there's some questions he answers. I'm just posing something for, for deep thought, for rumination. Let's ruminate upon that. If we, if we can only have one answered, our questions or our prayers, which one do we want answered? That's baby talk for prayers. That's... Which would we prefer? An answer to our question or an answer to our prayer? If Elijah had waited for his question to be answered, we never would have seen the miracle. If he had taken some hardline stance and said, I'm not doing another thing for you until you answer my question. We never would have seen the miracle of the boy coming back to life. How many times do we do that with God? We make this hard line stance. If you're really God, which has to be the most audacious thing we could ever do. If he's really God. Sounds like Job. Story of Job. Job had a great life. And then everything was taken away from Job. And then Job cried out to God and said, I've done nothing. I've examined my life. I've done nothing. I know I'm not being punished. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? His friends came and they tried, three friends tried to come and, and unpack it for him. And, and they all had their own opinions and their, their opinions were they're kind of lousy. And then Job gets angry. And he demands a response from God. I don't get it. I don't get it. He demands a response from God. And we see that in, in Job 31, uh, 35. He says, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. He's like, okay, we're signing these court documents. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. He's even referring to God as his adversary. Then one of his friends, Elihu, enters the story. Elihu's pretty good. He's got... He said, I've kept quiet this whole time because these other three jokers are older than me and I, I'm showing them respect, letting them speak first, but now I'm speaking up. And he, and, he, and he speaks some wisdom. 
Later on, we're going to see that God himself is going to rebuke the other three friends, but he didn't rebuke Elihu, which is interesting. But at the end of Elihu having saying what he has to say, and he has a lot to say, God shows up in a whirlwind and he speaks to Job. He goes, okay, you've demanded a response from me. Okay, here's my response. And we see it in Job 38, 1 through 5. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you, Job, will make it known to me. Uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understand. Tell me if you, if you know it so well. How determined its measurements, surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And I, I counted one time and there were 77 questions that Job asked of God, began with the word why. He had 77 why questions. Why, 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 why? 77 times, why, why, why? If you go through and you read the response of God and you, you add up the question marks and, and then even like there's times he say, you know, God would ask two questions within a sentence. So there's only one question mark, but there were two questions there. Just tit for tat. He, he responded. He counterpointed, point and counterpoint. And he said, oh, did you do this? Oh, did you do this? Where were you when this happened? Oh, did you do this? And God asks him a bunch of questions that Job could never answer and never answer adequately. And God mentions two remarkable creatures, the behemoth and the leviathan. Not evil creatures, but certainly dangerous, unsafe creatures, huge creatures. And then God, Mike drops. This is basically the summation of what God said. He said, we live in an amazing, complex world that I created for you. But that amazing, complex world was not designed to prevent suffering. God mentions the ostrich. He goes, look at the ostrich. Look at her talons. Look at, look at her, her strength. Yet she lays an egg in the grass to be destroyed, to be eaten, to be preyed upon, and she runs off. That's God's response. And I created that animal and with those instincts to do that. And, and you're going to ask me why? You're going to ask me to justify myself to you? It would, it would make your brain explode. So what would we prefer? An answer to our question or an answer to our prayer? In the last chapter of Job, chapter 42, Job has a change of heart regarding his questioning of God. He repents and he changes his mind about, about God owing him an explanation. And he humbles himself before God. And then God does this amazing thing. He restores Job's fortune. Everything that, was, that, that he lost, he, he restored. And what's amazing is God didn't he didn't allow all to be taken from him as punishment. And the Lord didn't restore everything, restore everything back to him as reward. He wasn't rewarding him and he wasn't punishing him. God is God. 
The Bible tells us that the folly of God is beyond the wisdom of man. It's not saying our God is foolish or has folly. It's just saying, you guys, we're not going to... If we're looking, if looking for answers to certain questions, we're, we're going to end up frustrated and confused. So what should we be looking for then? The heart of God. He will always reveal. The heart of God he will always reveal to us. He will always unpack it. He'll say, I've got all day for you. Sit down. Let me show you how much I love you. Always. There's always an answer. There. Not just an answer, a demonstration. Always. God blessed Job. But God still didn't justify himself to Job with an explanation or an answer. Answers to prayer bring life and revelation of God's love. Answers to prayer bring life and revelation of God's love. Answers to questions brings knowledge. Which do we want more, guys? Yes, we don't have to wonder about God's motives. His motive is love. His motive is love. And we don't have to worry about His motivation. His motivation is you. His motivation is, is me. The Father gave His only begotten Son that any of us that would believe in Him would be saved. Because God takes the initiative in this relationship. He loves us. He chose us. He gives us purpose. He meets us where we're at. This is the honest truth. doesn't matter what kind of mess we're in right now. doesn't matter what kind of mess our life is in. He meets us where we were at. God sent His Son to us in our mess. Jesus steps right into our mess wherever we're at. And He says, I'm here for one purpose and one purpose only, to demonstrate the Father's love to you. Yes, we can simplify the life of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, just like that. I am here to exemplify the Father's love to you. He told me to come and I said, I'll do it, Dad. I'll let them know how much you love them. You guys, we should desire God's affection more than an explanation. See, when we, when we have God's affection, when we grab a hold of it and we believe God's affection, it brings us a peace. And I'm here to tell you there's certain questions that even if I give you the best answer I could, it would not bring you peace. But God's affection does bring us peace. Always. His love brings us peace. Even if God himself were to give you an answer, it might not give you peace. God's ways... He sees the big picture. He put the universe into motion. And he is, he's always got a bigger purpose in mind. And, and the response that he could just give, if we would accept it, is this. Good question. Good question. Will you just trust me? Will you just trust me? Psalm 21.7 says this, For the king trusts in the Lord, 
and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Trust God. Find rest in his love for you. God loves you. God loves me. Can we all say this out loud? God loves me. Can we, can we piece those together? God loves me. For real. Can we say it again? God loves me. When we ask for answers to prayer, we express trust. But when we ask for answers to questions, uh, maybe not so much sometimes. You hear me say it all the time. I love a good question. But but maybe if we're not getting an answer to the things we're asking, we need to phrase that question we're asking God. Maybe we're asking a question that he's like, I'm just not going to answer them. Rephrase it. Or maybe re- re-heart it. Rethink it. Maybe, maybe express it in a different way. Or maybe... There's certain questions, guys. You, 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 honestly, the, you're not going to get an answer from God because we're asking the wrong question. We're asking a question that it could be that we're asking God to justify Himself, or maybe we're asking God for Z, and He goes, "Hey, man, you, you know I'm only going to give you B. You know that about me. You're on A, and I'm not going to show you Z. You got to. I'm not giving you. I'm not backing up a truckload of flour to to your door." you got this much flour and, and you go make the best bread and meal out of that you can make and tomorrow it'll be full again. But you got to trust me right now. So I'll, I'll give you B. You're sitting on A. I'll give you B. And guess what tomorrow you'll get? C. But I'm not giving you Z. Quit asking for Z. I'm not going to give you Z. You wouldn't have to trust me if I gave you Z. Does it make sense? Does this make sense? But yet we get frustrated at God and then people, you know, badmouth God and then they share those frustrations. And here's the thing. I hope they share those frustrations with us. And I hope that in their hurt, we're the ones that happen to be there when they express that they are hurting, they are angry. And why has God done this to me? I hope we're the ones that are there. And I hope we're the ones that are there to demonstrate grace and love and remind them of the things we do know. God loves you. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't have an answer. And if I did, it wouldn't take away your pain. But I know who will. I know. This I know. The living God by whom I represent right now, the living God, my living God, by whom I'm speaking, by His authority, I'm telling you right now, He will heal your heart if you'll look to Him. You guys, as his church, none of us got to be Superman. And times, man, we're used mightily by the Lord and we're proclaiming God. And we're doing what he says. There's still moments that we just get exhausted by life. And that's what, we can do that. But we just have to remember, if there's, if there's a season we're in where we're questioning God, we can't stop praying and asking God to be revealed in love and power.